The Productive Woman, Episode 421. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome and thank you for joining me. In this episode, we're talking about difficult conversations. You'll find more information and links to some resources I mentioned in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 421. So this episode was inspired initially by the editor's letter in the November 2022 episode of Better Homes and Gardens magazine. And this was a, an editorial letter written by the magazine's editor-in-chief, Stephen Orr. And he's talking in this, uh, in this editor's letter about conversations at holiday meals. But the things he had to say are equally relevant really to any difficult conversation, specifically conversations with people you disagree with. And it got me thinking about the importance of, and in many ways, the failure of dialogue, rational dialogue in this very polarized age that we're living in. And the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to sort of share with you some thoughts. And I did some research uh, to sort of crystallize my own thinking, I guess. And uh, I think it's really relevant and, and an important topic of conversation for us as women who want to be productive in the best sense, in, in the sense of making lives that matter. And as we are heading here in the United States uh, toward Thanksgiving, which of course was the context for Mr. Orr's editorial letter, uh, it, it, it's something we maybe need to be thinking about. So in his editor's letter, or talks about how we as people are becoming more and more sort of siloed into smaller and smaller groups that are segregated not by race, but by ideology. He says, everyone is algorithmically subdividing into tighter and tighter slivers of the media spectrum, what you read and watch is not what everyone else is experiencing. The ideas and concepts you're absorbing daily may not exist outside your proverbial bubble. And he, his opinion, I guess, in this, in this letter is that because of or alongside the vast expansion over the last few decades of media outlets and social media outlets, it has become easier and easier for each of us to hear only what we want to hear, only what affirms what we already believe. And since that's all we're hearing, we can come to believe without even consciously recognizing it, I think, that what we believe is the only truth. What we're hearing is the only truth, the only rational way to think. And it's it's not a far step from there to believing that anyone who believes anything else is wrong. And unfortunately, the, the tendency is to believe not just that they're wrong, but that they're far worse than wrong. And as a result of this um, sort of 
separation of media outlets and the 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 way we kind of only start to hear what we already believe we become isolated ideologically and we only hear from and interact with people who believe the same things we believe well it's not particularly insightful to note that all of this is having negative impacts on us as individuals and on our society in one Psychology Today article, a, a woman who is a social ethicist and a communications expert, her name is Melody Stanford Martin, she says it this way, in our present political climate, many of us are experiencing a breakdown in our ability to engage with the, quote, other side, end quote. And uh, Martin says, when these channels of communication fail, it can represent a significant loss to our relationships, our families, our communities, and even our democracy. And let me take a pause here for a moment to say this episode is not a political episode. I'm not here to talk about politics. I, I want to talk about the importance of having an ability to have dialogue, conversations with people we disagree with. And I will talk about why that matters and why I'm talking about it on a productivity podcast. But with that in mind, following up on what Martin has said about the, the significant loss to our relationships, our families, our communities, and even our democracy, as I read that, I thought about Twitter threads that I have read with dozens maybe hundreds of people proudly talking about how they have disassociated from, from friends and even family members solely because of what political party or candidate or issue that family member supports. And for me, that's just heartbreaking. Um, if we are, as a society, willing to completely cut off from family members and friends just because we disagree with uh, their political stance or a cause that they support. Um, to me, that is a, that is a serious loss, or as, you know, as Martin says, a significant loss to our communities, to our families, to our, our way of life. And so as I thought about that, you know, what, what uh, Orr said in his editorial letter, what, Martin says in the Psychology Today article and some of the other things I read, what I wanted to talk about today was basically how to talk to people you disagree with uh, and why it's important that we're able to do that. Uh, in his editorial letter, Orr asks the question, against this backdrop of the, the polarization of uh, society, of people, and this vulcanization, I guess, into small groups of people that only believe certain things and won't associate with people who believe something else. And it, it, as he's talking about that, and the context he's looking at is as we're getting ready to gather for family me meals for Thanksgiving and the other holidays that follow... He asked the question, how are we supposed to avoid talking about the important topics of the day without triggering the elephant in the room into full stampede mode? And 
I, you know, it's a great question. You know, have you had family gatherings that have devolved into a shouting match among some members of the family over some issue or some some question that they disagree on? Uh, how do we have conversations as people about these important topics without it turning into a a shouting match and a battle and you know family members cutting each other off? Well, Orr's answer is this, approaching any edgy topics that arise with grace, as in the dictionary definition of courteous goodwill. Uh, and I loved the way he put that. He, he had some other good things to say. If you happen to read Better Homes and Gardens magazine, I, re- I recommend you read his editorial letter there at the beginning of, the, of that issue, that November 2022 issue. Um, but I I agree with him 100%. We have to have these conversations. I think it's important. We can't pretend that that there aren't important things to talk about as friends, as family members, as a community. But if we can approach those topics with grace, um, with that courteous goodwill, which is the definition he used, it can make all the difference. And so for me, there are a couple of things to think about when we are approaching a conversation with someone we disagree with. And so for me, the very first thing to remember is that relationships matter more than being right. Uh, I firmly believe that. And in the context of these conversations at family gatherings, or says in this letter, what matters most is not necessarily winning the argument or changing a person's mind, but realizing that the person you're talking to is someone you love or someone who is loved by someone you love. And that certainly is true as we gather as families for holiday meals or, or parties or different things. Um, when we approach these conversations that may come up because it's you know, top of mind with a lot of us these days, really important social issues, um, start from remembering that this is someone you care about. Or if it's not, you know, your family member, maybe it's the the plus one that a family member brought to the gathering uh, that you're having a conversation with. Maybe you don't love them because you don't know them that well, but someone you love loves them. And keep that in mind Uh, I think hopefully that will help us approach the conversation with grace. So remembering that relationships matter more. A a life that matters almost always matters in relation to people. And those relationships that we have developed over the years or that we want to develop matter more than almost anything else. So keeping that in mind. Number two for me is to seek to understand, maybe even more than seeking to be understood. Orr says in his letter, the key to these difficult conversations is to be able to listen and try to understand where the other person is coming from. And uh, Melody Stanford Martin in that Psychology Today article agrees. She says, our goals in difficult conversations should generally be to, one, protect the relationship with that person, and two, to increase your understanding and increase the chances you will be understood. So coming from a perspective of trying to understand rather than just trying to refute is, I think, really, really important. And to do that, um, 
experts, communications experts, recommend that we ask questions when we go into a conversation with someone that we disagree with or think that we disagree with. Start by asking questions and be sure to listen to their answers. Uh, By asking questions, it gives us a, a better chance to understand why they believe what they do, but it also signals to that person that you're listening, that they're being heard. And everybody wants to be heard, right? And so when we are into this conversation with someone that we disagree with, start from wanting to, again, protect the relationship, but also to understand why they think what they do. And so ask those questions and really listen to the answers. Listen to what's behind the answers. So not just listening so you can prepare your, uh, your rebuttal, but to truly try to understand what they're saying and why they believe it. To me, what comes to mind is the old golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You want to be understood, right? Um, And so maybe we can start by doing unto the other, by trying sincerely to understand what they're thinking and why they're thinking it. The third thing we can do uh, that I think is important as we have conversations with people we disagree with is to look for common ground. Find what you can agree on and start from there. And you may, you know, you may have to dig pretty deep with some people to find something you can agree on, but look for that. We are, one thing I think that is common ground that we can find with anybody is fear. Often what what is behind a position that we're taking or our resistance to somebody else's position is fear of the outcome of what they believe or fear of what will happen if our position doesn't prevail. We're all afraid in to one degree or another. Maybe we're just afraid of different things. And think about that as you're looking for that common ground that you can start a dialogue from. Uh, the fourth thing that I think is really important as we have conversations with people we disagree with is to be careful not to dehumanize them. This is one of the things that really I find so distressing. It really breaks my heart when you see the conversations on social media in particular that on both sides of any issue, the people who are advocating their position are not merely advocating their position, but they are demonizing the people on the other side of that issue. They see them as less than human. The The language they use about them is something less than human. And we don't have to look very far back in history to see what happens when one group of people decides another group of people is something less than human. And so as you have a conversation with someone, or if you're even contemplating having a conversation with someone, see that person as an individual, not merely as a member of a particular group that you paint with a broad brush as being stupid or evil or, you know, something more than just wrong, but but fundamentally unhuman. 
So be careful not to do that and think about the language that you're using, whether whether you're verbalizing it or just thinking it in your head as you think about people. Consider them as individuals instead of grouping them together and, and dismissing them all en masse. And sort of connected to that is important to rec- recognize that all people are multidimensional. And we should be careful not to base our opinion of any one person based on one aspect of who they are. I see lots of conversations, uh, lots of posts on social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else, where, where people are dismissing individuals based on one aspect of who they are. The, the Twitter feeds that I mentioned earlier, where people are disassociating from family members because of one opinion that family member has or one candidate that that family uh, member uh, supports. We need to see each other as multidimensional human beings, which is what we all are, and take the whole into consideration instead of just dismissing a person or basing an opinion of them on on one little element of who they are as a human being. And then I guess the last thing I would say is it's important, no matter how strongly we believe what we believe about an issue, about a person, whatever, to take a step back from that opinion and ask ourselves a really important question. Is it really possible that every person who believes something that you disagree with is ignorant or stupid or evil or all three? Is that really possible? Um, Because that's what we're assuming if we default to attributing bad motives or stupidity, for example, to a person we disagree with, to a group of people. Again, going back to, you know, grouping people based on one element of, of who they are, one thing they believe or oppose, whatever it is, and saying all of these people are stupid, or all of them are evil, or all of them have a bad motive for what they're doing. Uh, is that really possible that all those people, just because they disagree with you, because they believe something you disagree with, that all of them are ignorant, or that all of them are stupid, that all of them are evil, maybe that's not the case. Martin, in that Psychology Today article, encourages us to avoid assuming the worst about a person that we disagree with, but instead to, as she puts it, assume they have good intentions unless you have direct evidence to the contrary. She encourages us to try to interpret what they say in a generous light even if you plan to push back against their ideas. That's great advice, and there's a really good reason to do this. As she says, and I agree with her 100%, the vast majority of us want to be good. We want to fight for the best possible world and do the right thing. We may have different visions of how to get there, but it's important to assume someone means well until we have definitive proof that they don't. And I agree with her 100%. And I would say voicing an opinion you disagree with is not definitive proof of bad motives. The truth is, like you, I'm sure, I have pretty strong beliefs about various issues. And most of those beliefs have come through 
you know, lots of years of thinking, of studying, of reading, of listening, and forming my opinions on these issues. And I've, I believe my beliefs are right, just like you do. But I also know that there are other people on other sides of issues who are people of goodwill, who are intelligent, who are educated, who have looked at the same evidence that I've looked at and have come to a different conclusion than I did. I cannot believe that they're all stupid, that they're all evil, that they're, they, their conclusions that they are voicing are from a bad motive. We, it's not that simple. It's not that black and white, is it? Intelligent, well-meaning, well-educated people can look at the, the circumstances, can look at the evidence, can look at the information that's out there and reach opposing conclusions about the issue, about the right way to address the issue, about the, you know, if we're talking politics, about the candidate, about the party, whatever. We need to start from a position of understanding that while I might think that person is wrong, that doesn't mean that they're evil or that they're stupid. It means they've looked at the issue and reached a different conclusion than I did. And that brings us back then to, you know, the earlier points that I was talking about, where I, if I can have a conversation with them and ask questions and try to understand why they believe what they believe, I should feel confident in, enough in my own beliefs to not be threatened by someone who believes something different. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm going to change my mind, but understanding why they believe what they believe can make a huge difference. I, I also, as part of that, I think it's important that we acknowledge how good we are as human beings at self-deception. We, I, I've said in the past that I think one of the defining characteristics of humanity, of, of human beings, is our endless capacity for self-deception. We are very good at believing something and not seeing our own motives, not really understanding the reasons why we're believing what we believe. And we're just very good at deceiving ourselves about our own motives, our own beliefs, and about our opinions and where they come from. I think of something uh, that writer Anne Lamott said years ago that has always stuck with me. She says, you can be pretty certain you've created God in your own image if it turns out he hates all the same people you do. And that's, uh, <laughs> to me, that falls in line with this idea of our, our capacity for self-deception. We create an image of who God is and what God thinks that supports what we have decided is right. We're, and similarly, when we judge another group of people or another individual, we're very good at believing that other people's hatred, for instance, is evidence of their bad character, but our hatred is justified. Um, we have good reason why we should hate that person or, you know, oppose that person if you don't want to use the word hatred. Um, and I, I've seen lots of conversations where people are accusing someone on the other side of an issue of being hate-mongering. And that hate-mongering of that other person justifies me hating them. And that's what I've seen. But the truth is when you hate a hater, 
you become a hater. When you hate someone because you believe what they say is hate speech, for instance, you are becoming the very thing you hate them for being. And I don't want that to be the case for me. And I, I find myself pausing frequently as I'm thinking about someone on the other side of an issue or, you know, whatever it is, somebody doing certain things that I, that I think is wrong. And I have to step back and say, am I, am I choosing to hate them because I think they're being hateful? Uh, is that the person I want to be? I, I want to make sure that uh, I'm not again, not dehumanizing people on the other side of issues, but recognizing that just because they disagree with me doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them. I may believe their opinion is wrong, but that doesn't make them a bad person. So what does this have to do with productivity? Why am I talking about this? Well, Because I think if productivity is about more than getting stuff done, but about ordering our lives in such a way as to maximize our positive impact on the world around us, then how we interact with people we disagree with is an important piece of that. Our influence will not be positive. Our impact on the world around us, whether it's the family members at the Thanksgiving dinner table or society at large, Our influence, our impact will not be positive if our communication with them or about them is aimed at condemning them or proving them wrong. And it's even less so if we completely withdraw and refuse to interact at all. We have no hope of positively influencing people that we refuse to be in a relationship with, whether it's family members, friends, people in the community. No matter how wrong, you think someone is, that the truth is nobody has ever changed their mind in response to somebody standing at a distance throwing rocks at them. It is only through honest and grace-filled interaction and dialogue that we have any hope of influencing positively the people in our lives and our society at large. I truly believe this. And that's why I think it's important enough to talk about on this podcast. And so we can choose to have a positive impact by staying in relationship with people, by asking questions, by remembering that they are human beings with many dimensions and one little thing they believe or one big thing they believe does not define who they are or their worth or their value in the world or in our lives. And I think that as women who want to be productive in all those senses of making a life that matters, we can choose to lead by example in this area. Why I think about this is I think when when considering the concepts regarding speaking to those we disagree with, the things I've talked about so far, we might find ourselves thinking, well, but they this. The idea maybe being that why should I do these things when that person won't? And what I remind myself is that I don't want to let somebody else's words or behavior determine mine no matter how aggressive or angry or even hateful someone behaves, I don't have to respond in kind. I don't have to turn angry or aggressive or hateful just because 
somebody else is doing so. If I want to be a productive woman, if I want to be a woman who is maximizing her positive impact on the world around me, then I need to be prepared to take the lead, to go first, to extend grace, even to someone that I think maybe doesn't deserve it or won't appreciate it. I want to uh, take charge of my own behavior towards the people I disagree with. I can't control what they're going to do, but I can control how I interact with them. So I can take the initiative to reach out to those people that I disagree with, to have a conversation that hopefully will be filled with grace that will help me understand them and maybe give them a chance to understand me a little better. I read a a Reader's Digest article that uh, was really good called How to Talk to People Even If You Disagree. And I will link to these articles and some others that have some great tips on this, this topic. But this Reader's Digest article encourages us to take the initiative to have these conversations with people we disagree with. And there was a chunk of this article that I thought was good enough to to be worth quoting here. So the article says, take one step closer to someone who disagrees with you, whether that means spending time with a friend or relative you've been drifting apart from, reading an opinion from an earnest voice on the other side, or sparking a conversation you've been both eager and hesitant to have. When you want to explore why they're wrong, explore instead what you're missing. When you want to determine whose view wins, determine what makes each view understandable. When you want to discover why someone believes something that confounds you, discover how they came to believe it. When you want to know what their problem is, try to know what their concerns are. When you want to demand why they don't care about what you care about, learn what they care about more. And when you want to trap them into saying what you want to hear, free them so they say what they honestly mean. And when you want to stop listening so you can react or respond or judge, which will be often, mind that gap between what you know and what you most certainly don't and ask one more curious question. More often than you probably think, you might just find yourself saying, I never thought of it that way. And I really, this the whole article was really good, but that was really uh, inspiring, I guess, to me uh, to ask those questions when, when I want to judge, to stop and and ask those curious questions and, and f- realize that you may finally have a light bulb go off in your own mind that you, even if you don't agree with what they're saying, that you can actually say, well, I never thought of it that way. I see where you're coming from. And that's all we, maybe all we can hope for. So I guess my final thoughts on this, I truly believe there is very little hope for our society if we can't relearn that skill of disagreeing without dehumanizing. If we can't learn to extend grace to the people we disagree with, if we can't learn to reject the idea that believing something different from you means a person is evil or ignorant or both, we have to be able to talk, to learn from each other, and to walk in grace toward each other. 
And I guess maybe we can start at the holiday gatherings this year. And that's why I decided to talk about this now at this, you know, as we're getting into the holiday season. Or in that editor's letter that I talked about at the beginning says, when we come together at the table this holiday season, the things that matter most won't have changed despite the state of the world. Being a good human is mostly about being good to others and thinking beyond ourselves. As social media herds us more and more into tight demographic pens, realize this is your chance to break out, to hear other views, to compare notes with someone on the other side of the aisle in real time, in real space, human to human, with no algorithms guiding the conversations. And I, I love that idea. I hope that that's what can happen in my life and in my relationships during this holiday season. And I hope that for you as well. But I'd love to know what you think. What are your thoughts on handling conversations with people you disagree with or handling those disagreements uh, in general? What works for you? Do you disagree with what I've said here? I'd, I'd like to know. You can share your ideas on this in the comment section of the show notes, which you will find at theproductivewoman.com slash 421. And, you know, I'll be watching the, the comment section there on that episode. If you go to the show notes for this episode, again, you can scroll down to the bottom. You'll see a summary of what I've talked about on this episode, a list of the um, resources, the articles I mentioned, and several others that have some really good tips about difficult conversations. And then at the bottom, you'll see a comment section where you can leave a comment for me to look at and for all of us. You can also post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page or in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group if you're a member there. And we can have this conversation there, hopefully, it, with grace. We don't have to all agree about things, but we we need to try to understand each other and to extend grace to each other, right? As always, if you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, I'd be happy to hear from you. You can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com, and I, I'd love to hear from you. Um, I think that's it for this episode of The Productive Woman. As always, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you felt like it was worthwhile. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other, even to the people you disagree with, but also to yourself. And go make your life matter.